Um, this is our May term uh, combined Sunday school uh, lecture series. Uh, the idea behind it is for us to uh, take topics uh, at our church that we often get questions about and give me the opportunity to uh, lecture on those um, during the month of May. So we shut down all adult and uh, youth Sunday school classes and we all come together to look at different topics. And the ones we choose are the ones that we typically get the most questions about. And so uh, one of those we get most often um, has to do with worship at Taste Creek Presbyterian Church. The, if, if, you're understand, if you want to understand, I don't, know, I don't know what the right word is, maybe the tension that people feel um, at TCPC, it's this. Um, the way we practice worship here is, uh, the label you give is traditional, you could say, um, but, but when we say traditional, um, it's it maybe more, um, more, more classic, more ancient. Um, but it's, it, is, uh, it, is, it echoes the worship practices of what you would call the mainline denominational churches. In other words, those, those traditions with historical roots, um, a lot of the practices that we do in worship look and feel that way. Um, the rub is, is that the, 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 the congregation that we tend to attract, so to speak, is this vibrant evangelical faith that is not used to the uh, traditional, more historical forms of worship. So in a sense, we're kind of this, um, this, this more traditional church with pews filled with people who um, are used to uh, the normal culture of evangelical worship, which would be defined a lot by parachurch ministries, a lot by megachurches, a lot by um, newer, um, more missional, um, focused congregations, um, even the seeker-sensitive model, where all of these practices have kind of been thrown out. And so that's the tension that we often feel is our community is very vibrant in evangelical community, and we're worshiping in these more historical classical forms. And so this is without a doubt one of the, um, one of the tensions, and tension is the right word maybe, uh, one of the questions we get a lot, and I'm often um, answering that question about worship and all that, and, that, and that's fine, that's great, there's room for that. Um, today, so last week what we did is we just kind of started very broadly with a with definition of worship and then narrowed it down to a particular public corporate gathering of worship. And we talked about what's called the regulative principle of worship, which is a new term for many people. The regulative principle of worship um, means that, uh, that, that God um, should only be worshipped in the way He has asked us to worship Him as revealed in Scripture. The regulative principle of worship assumes that God actually does have preferences, that He wants to be desired, He wants to be worshipped in, in certain ways. Um, he wants His people to... Uh, gather and worship Him in certain ways. There's tons of flexibility. There's tons of room for creativity and diversity in that. But that there are, there are uh, the regulative, regulative principle kind of give us boundaries of worship that within those boundaries, there's freedom to uh, contextualize and all those different things. And we talked about that principle. This week, what I want to do is I want to ask the question, um, why, so with that being said, the regulatory principle being said, why have we at TCPC in particular chosen 
um, this way of worship. Now, um, when I say way, we're not going to get much into the stylistics of it uh, this week. We are actually going to talk about style and music and aesthetics and all that stuff. Uh, but this week, we're not going to get necessarily into the style of worship, the feel of worship, um, any of that stuff. More of, really, w- within the regulative principle of worship, we have, um, we have created a liturgy. Um, that's what this is. It's a liturgy that we enact every single week. And I want to just ask the question, why did we land with this one? And what are the meanings of the different elements? That's kind of how I want to come at it this week. So uh, this week is more of a liturgy discussion. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to talk about music and, and, and some things like that. But this week is the liturgy question. What's with the liturgy stuff? Are we Catholic um, what, what kind of a church is this? Um, well, let's talk about that. Um, first, let me give you a definition of liturgy. Now, with, if you remember last week, I talked about um, that worship is the labor of giving praise. Or um, I, think the way, um, I think the way I, worked is, I worded it was, it is the work of giving esteem to something. Liturgy literally means the work of the people. We, and, and so when we talk about and when we talk about um, worship, we view this as your work, your Sunday work, your Sunday offering up to God, the work of the people. And so we craft a liturgy that is your work. Um, now, why have we chosen this liturgy? This, the, what, what we do in our liturgy, where, where does that come from? Um, I guess maybe um, I should say uh, first that every church has a liturgy. Um, that's inescapable. Um, you can't. You can't not do that. Um, the modern, the modern evangelical liturgy is uh, one song, welcome announcements, a couple songs, a sermon, a song, and dismissal. That's that. That's pretty much the rough liturgy of of kind of the modern church. And that's that's what they do. That that's their liturgy. That's what the people come to enact. Every church has a liturgy. We're not the only liturgical church. Every church is a liturgical church. So that, that brief aside, I, I, I still understand the question. Okay, get it. Every church is a liturgy. Why is ours like this? Why so, um, why so um, rote? Why so formal? Why so um, organized in all of these different things? Why do we do it this way? And you know what I mean when I say this way. Um, I want to begin by explaining why we do it this way or why we, why, we, why, why, why we think this is the best way to disciple our people in worship. And then um, I want to briefly just go through our order of worship this morning and kind of look at how it all plays out. But why kind of this formal um, participatory liturgy at Tate's Creek? Um, in keeping with the formality, I'm going to give you an acronym. So here we go. Um, why do we have a liturgy that we do? My, my acronym is ORDER. That's pretty good, isn't it? ORDER. Um, here's, why, here, here, here's why we have such an orderly liturgy. ORDER. Organized, reverent, and I'll go through these again so you don't have to worry about it. Organized, reverent, discipleship, evangelism, and refuge. Okay? When I think about why do we worship this way, those five things continually come to mind. First, that it's organized. Um, Again, this is cultural trends, but the cultural trend is that organization equals bad. (laughs) Or organization 
equals no room for the Holy Spirit. Or organization equals no emotions and all these different things. And there actually has become this idolatry of spontaneity in modern worship forms. That's certainly the trend. Spontaneity. Now again, it's not as spontaneous as you want to be. In the end, you will fall into an order. You will fall into an organized pattern of worship. But the feel of spontaneity and, and not this rigid form. Um, and, and to that, I would just, I would just challenge that and, and just say that in actuality, when you, look at the, when you look at the scriptures, whether it be the way God commanded Israel to worship in, in, in the temple and in tabernacle, and then the way you see Paul instruct the worship of the early church, what you see is this push over and over and over again for orderliness, for organization. In fact, 1 Corinthians 14 is really Paul's charge to the Corinthians of saying, your worship is a chaotic mess. Order this thing. Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows what anybody's saying. What in the world is happening in worship? Bring order to it. Organize. Worship. People have to understand what's going on and all these different things. And, and so, so in, in, in worship, what we see in Scripture is that it is an orderly affair. Um, and that, that is born out of our belief. In fact, this is, a, this is a, almost a direct quote from Paul in 1 Corinthians 14, where God is a God of order, not chaos. Um, spontaneity is, um, what you see in Scripture is this. You have these moments of spontaneous breakthrough, the Isaiah 6 moments. The Peter encountering Jesus and falling on his face in worship moments. You do have these beautiful, lovely moments of spontaneity. And that's not bad, and that's wonderful. However, what you see is an organized worship service, by and large, as the norm. Now, why is that? Well, first, God is a God of order. We believe that, that he is a God of order. And he brought order out of chaos. But I would just say more it reflects the seriousness of what we are actually trying to do here, I guarantee you, if you were to have a dinner party with um, uh, somebody, a celebrity, a, a politician, somebody, I guarantee you they would walk into your house and you would have everything in order. Not just the house itself, but the evening itself. The meal carefully planned out. The, 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 the plate settings carefully planned out. Um, the dessert ready to go. All of these different things. You would have, a, you would have the whole thing in order. There's no way uh, the President of the United States would show up at your house and say, what do you want to do tonight? Order pizza? What, do you want? what, what, what are we going to do? And, and, and it's, that organized, it's that organized feel to worship that says to our God, we put a lot of thought into this. Um, we're passionate about this. We have put together a liturgy that we hope blesses you and honors you. And so we do this for organization purposes. The second one is our reverence. Um, how do you ensure that your worship is God-centered, Christ-exalting, gospel-infused, saturated with Scripture um, throughout? I mean, listen... We pretty much, much don't say much in, in, in worship except the Bible. Um, you know, there are prayers, there are spontaneous prayers, there's, there's scripted prayers, there's things that aren't our words, and of course the hymnody, but pretty much what we're doing is we're gathering just around the scriptures for an hour and 15, 20 minutes. How do you ensure that it's that way? How do you ensure that this is a reverent affair that is worthy of the holiness and honor of God? Liturgy, 
well-crafted liturgy, that when I'm in my office on Wednesday thinking through this, that that preparation, that orderliness, that organizedness, make sure that there won't be a word spoken here, hopefully, that is irreverent in any way. That from the moment we walk in these doors to when we leave, this thing is so thought out, so scripted, that every word out of our mouths, hopefully every word out of my mouth in the sermon that I'm trying to be so careful with, is honoring to our God. The third one is discipleship. This is an interesting one to some people. Um, We do liturgy like this because it it is rooted in a view of discipleship that is countered, again, to some some cultural stuff. If you were to ask a normal person, a normal Christian, how are you changed? How are you changed? Top on the list would be mountaintop experience. Um, An emotionally... Damascus Road experience. And certainly there are those, and certainly we praise God for those. I had one of those at a mountaintop experience at a Young Life camp when I was 18, changed forever. Yes, obvious. So there are those epic, life-changing moments. But by and large, you are not changed by um, mountaintop, highly emotionally stirred spontaneity. You know how you're changed? Habits. Rituals, drills. Go ask, go, go, ask a, go ask a coach. Go ask a coach. How are we going to change these kids? We got a team. Uh, don't know how. I, we got a, a, it's Chris here. Coach, coach Chris Lee is coaching my, my boy in soccer. And uh, they don't know how to play soccer, and they're not good. How's he going to change that? Well, let's just show up and kind of kick the ball around, da 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 da, and, you know, no order and stuff. Or we're going to do drills. Over. And over and over and over again. I'm going to make you dribble the soccer ball like that. I'm going to make you kick the soccer ball like that. I'm going to make you run and get in shape. I'm going to make you do drills over and over and over again. I'm going to work on your shooting form over and over and over again. The mundane discipline habits trains us and changes us. Ask a drill sergeant. Ask a a general. How do you how do you get a good soldier? How do you get a good soldier? If you don't think that the military is a highly liturgical um, institution, it is. It is. It is. They have a liturgy and it works. We will put you through this. We will put you through drills. We will put you through these habits. We will train you in these ways and it produces a soldier. Ask a parent. How are our children changed? Is it in the mountaintop moment experiences, the vacations, the things like that? Those are great. Those are wonderful. Do those. There's awesome. Or is it the mundane, consistent discipline and training and habits of life? I can go on and on and on with this. Why do we think that Christian discipleship is any different? You know what we're doing on Sunday mornings? Boring drills. In the practices of the kingdom. We are gathering together to practice the habits of the kingdom. Once again, we're going to confess our sins because that's what Christians do. Once again, we're going to listen to a sermon because that's what Christians do. Once again, we're going to confess our faith because that's what Christians do. Once again, we're going to come to this table because that's what Christians do. And, and you don't know this is happening, but it's happening. Trust me, it's happening. You don't know this is happening, but you are training yourself and the next generation in the habits of the kingdom. It will come out. I, I, I love parents when they share these cute anecdotes. Um, 
of, of um, <laughs> one, one parent told me uh, that, uh, that they, they had dinner company over and, uh, and, um, and, and they were, it was kind of an evangelistic uh, hospitality thing. And they were talking about it. And, and somebody said, well, what exactly do Christians believe? And the kid goes, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And you think that's an accident? Um, I had one, uh, I have one um, parent who told me um, that somebody randomly, they heard something, I can't remember the context, but they heard something about where somebody said the word of the Lord, and, they shout, and the kid shouted out, thanks be to God. My kids, when they're in fight, uh, when they're arguing, and this is, you, you know what often they say to each other when it's over, hey, apologize to us. You know what often their parting words are? Peace to you. Seriously. And I don't make them say it. If you don't think that they're getting trained, if you don't think coming and giving your money away every single week is training you in the ways of generosity and sacrificial giving, you're crazy. This is the daily meal. This is the daily bread. The weekly habits and drills of the kingdom of God training you in the ways of discipleship and it's happening. You don't have to feel that it's happening to be happening. You will wake up 10 years from now and you'll say, whoa, I'm really different than I was 10 years ago. How'd that happen? The mundane routines of corporate worship of feasting on the mains of grace. E, evangelism. Again, you may not think of a high formal liturgy as particularly evangelistic. Um, but I believe it is. I believe it is. And it always has been. Because, um, in several ways. The first way is, um, I, think it's, I think it's refreshing for Christians to just be honest and upfront with what we believe. Um, in a very intelligible way. There's no hiding. There's no bait and switch here. Like we're going we're gonna to bring you in by putting together a performance that, that feels like what you're used to and then somehow we'll kind of like slip it in. Um, there ain't no slipping in here. This is, this, is, this is pretty straightforward of what we believe every single week. So if you come off the streets as a non-Christian and say, what, what, what are these people into? It, this bulletin every single week is going to tell you exactly what we believe. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's filled with language that's unfamiliar. I know it feels like a whole different world. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing when it comes to the purposes of evangelism. Um, I was talking about this the other night. I, I'm uh, into CrossFit. If you'd like to talk about it sometime, we can. And the thing about CrossFit that's made it so popular, um, one of the things I love that they do is they don't compromise who they are but they make their little, it's kind of a cult, they make their little cult um, exceedingly appealing. And here's what I mean. They've got all this weird verbiage and they've got all these weird habits and they've got a really strange liturgy to them. And the first time I stepped into a CrossFit gym, they're actually called boxes. They even call themselves boxes, not gyms. So the first time I stepped in, I was like, what is this place? And what do they talk about? And I feel lost. However, they discipled me in the ways of CrossFit. They evangelized me first. They, I had to be evangelized, and I got converted pretty quickly. And now they're discipling me in the ways of CrossFit. They're not compromising who they are. They're weird. 
Like that little, that little space, CrossFit space, is a very, very weird place. And if you stepped into it right now, you would say, what is this? But they quickly welcome you. They quickly disciple you. They quickly say, here's what we mean when we say this. Here's how to do this. Da, 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 da. So don't compromise it, but they're inviting you into it. And, and, and that's what liturgy should be. You, th- th- listen. The world does not need from us cheesy imitations of their, their rituals. They need our creeds, our ancient historic faith, our weird words that we have to explain. Now, this, this, puts, the, this puts the pressure on you as friends, okay? And this, is, this takes it off the pressure for us to craft a service that, 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 uh, that speaks the verbiage of the world and makes sense to the world and puts it all on you to take your friends here and go out to lunch and say, hey, what would you think of that? What, 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 do you think that they, what do you think about that statement or whatever? You're going to have to train them. You're going to have to teach them. So it's definitely harder for you, but I think it is an effective, honest, not insulting their intelligence um, strange, different way to bear witness to the world what we believe. I would even say, and listen, I know it's intimidating, but the other's pretty intimidating too. In fact, I have been told by visitors that as intimidating as you think this feels to people, it's actually less intimidating than some of their other Christian experiences. I mean, if you think it's intimidating to come in here and, and have words that you don't understand and, and recite stuff, go, just, just take yourself, again, out of the Christian bubble and imagine yourself walking into a normal evangelical Christian service where there's nothing scripted, there's no explanation, there's no, and it's just like, what are these people doing? Am I supposed to like, am I supposed to do this and raise my hands and, 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 and like, like, I, like I feel like they're, I, I, I feel like they're uh, doing these, these things that I don't understand and there's no explanation and there's just kind of this, uh, this, this feeling of I, like I've got to enter into this, um, this incredibly spontaneous emotional experience that everybody seems to be having. That's intimidating. It's really scary. There's something, there's something very comforting to just come in, sit down, and I can read words. I can, I can participate in this. I can go along with this. This is, this is, this is very non-threatening. So evangelism. The last one I would say is refuge. And, and here's what I mean when I say refuge. I will tell you when you will appreciate a um, formal routine, um, non, um, non-forceful, emotional uh, um, type of worship service um, that expects you to um, be happy all the time, um, triviality type of feel. I'll tell you when, in other words, I'll tell you when you'll appreciate a formal, scripted um, um, ancient, um, uh, full of scripture, creedal, confessional type of worship service, and, and it's when you're suffering. I want to read. A, I want to read an email I got from somebody. This is after an untimely death of a of a teenage family member. Um, Dear Robert, at times I have felt antsy for back a letter for lack of a better word with the way our worship service sometimes feels so scripted. So I got the first line. I'm like, okay, here we go. Another another. No. Good question. I, I felt like I was going to have to, you know, go and, and have a, you know, answer these questions, stuff like that. She said, "At times, I felt like it's it's like you're a slave to the bolt, and sometimes it's felt like we're being we're we're being too Catholic. This has never been a huge deal, but sometimes that just bothered me. 
However, just a couple weeks ago, I was hit hard on how important it really is. Needless to say, I won't use the name, this person's death turned my world upside down. So much grief, confusion, so many questions. Everything seemed to change and take on a different meaning. I sometimes felt like I was tumbling over and over in a crazy river, totally disoriented. Then a few weeks ago, I found myself reading and reciting in service, and I realized what a comfort that was to me. I change, my world changes, people and circumstances changes, but my God will never change. At that time, I was able to hold on to the stabilizer that helps orient me every time. What a wonderful way to talk about worship. A stabilization that helps orient me every time. The comfort and strength I felt that morning made me look at our worship format through different eyes. Being able to focus on something familiar when my mind was running off in so many different directions was a gift. I didn't have to wrestle or even think too much. It all just comes naturally because I have done it so many times and I could just find rest and peace in our worship. I wonder, I wonder what it's like when your world is turned completely upside down and you don't know up from down, left from right, and you enter into a Christian context that's asking you to be really happy and cheery. It's asking you to self-produce um, emotions that aren't there, spontaneity that you don't feel like, you just want to sit. I, I, I know this, I know this too. Um, in, in my worst seasons of life, in one particular season of life, it was enough for me to just come sit in these pews and let you all say the Apostles' Creed and believe it for me. It was enough for me to just come and listen to you all sing your hymns and say, I'm, 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 I'm safe here. There is a safety, there is a security, there is a familiarity, there is a reorientation. Again, as you don't know what's happening, but it's happening in worship. What you will find is the liturgy becomes a rock-solid, consistent Sunday refuge for your soul. So why do we do liturgy this way and the formality, the scripting, and all that stuff? Order, organized, reverent, discipleship, evangelism, refuge. With that in mind, I want to take a few minutes, get out your bulletin, and let's just see how we do this. I've done this before on Sunday mornings, um, and every time I've done this, um, kind of gone through it and showed you the rhythm of it, um, it's, it's, uh, it's been helpful, but we never got it on tape. So I'm going to really quickly kind of show you why we do what we do, okay? Um, this will take me, it's got to take me, I'm going to give myself seven minutes to do this, and we'll be done. Um, what you need to know about our worship is it seeks to embody uh, the gospel that is at the core of our Christian faith every week. You, don't, you may not realize that, but what we're doing is we're taking you through the gospel every single week. And we do this by leading you through essentially three phases. They're in the bulletin, but you may never even notice that language. Rejoice, renewal, response. That's essentially what we do with you every single week. Rejoice, renewal, response. The rejoice phase begins with the call to worship. Actually, the prelude's there. The prelude's very important. The prelude is um, the break from the rest of the world. You, you, you bring into this room um, your, your struggles, your concerns, both noble and sinful, your sufferings, the noise of this world, and the prelude offers this moment of consecration, a moment of transition so that we are prepared to enter into worship. So we have a prelude, and then immediately we go into what's called, traditionally called the call to worship. The call to worship is the first element of Christian service where the scriptures call you to worship. I love the old tradition of the, the church bell ringing on Sunday morning saying, come on, 
It's time to worship. It's time to worship. Same idea. Uh, the call to worship. The call goes out and we are here to respond. And so we, we, do it respon- we, we, we do this responsively and it's always the scriptures that call us into worship. And then we go into our opening hymn. Now what you need to know about the hymns, the liturgy and everything is it all, and, and it'd be good practice for you to try to make these connections every week. It's all revolving around um, the passage of scripture and sermon um, I think there is value to a liturgical calendar, but at our church, we order our liturgy around um, the, the sermon. So whatever I'm preaching on that morning, um, or Mark's preaching on that morning, kind of dictates uh, the, 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 the hymns that are chosen, the prayers that are prayed, and all that, and you can try to make that connection. So this morning, um, we sing, O Worship the King, our, our, our shield and defender, the ancient of days, because my sermon is all about persecution in a world where we need God as our defender. And so the hymn of praise is always the grand hymn of worship. It is God-centered, God-glorifying every time. We burst forth into praise, which leads us into the invocation. The invocation is literally a prayer invoking the presence of God, inviting God to come be with us, to dwell with us. You'll hear me pray this in some way every time that we ask for God to come dwell with his people and be pleased with our worship. Um, also, during the hymn of rejoicing, you have the uh, you have the choir procession, which again may seem like a weird tradition, but it's actually a beautiful tradition. You don't have a problem with the processions in weddings, in um, in graduation ceremonies. Is is there not something about a formal procession that that lifts the nobility of the moment, that 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 makes it makes it we're on holy ground here. Something special is happening here with this great procession, whether it's at the graduations that just took place, the graduates walk in, or. Or the end of Star Wars when, uh, when, 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 they, when they walk down the aisle and receive their crowns and all that stuff. Processions transcend culture. And that happens during the hymn of rejoicing. Welcome announcements. We think this is very, a very important part of worship. To welcome people, invite them into worship, uh, highlight things that are going on. The reason why this takes place during the rejoice cycle is because these are highlighting things that we are rejoicing in that are going on in our church. And then there will always be something that God is doing in our midst that we're rejoicing in. This morning um, is, is baptism in this service and the next service, it's a commissioning. So that's our time to rejoice in what God is doing among us. Okay, the next phase is renewal. Um, renewal, what, what's happened is we've now been in the presence of God, we've seen his glory, we've sung his praises, and we are confronted with our unworthiness to be here. That's what happens. That's what happens. When God shows up, people are confronted. And so we go into this phase called renewal where we need the gospel and we enact the gospel. It begins with the Old Testament reading. And once again, the Old Testament reading is chosen to supplement the New Testament reading. So the Old Testament reading this morning is Psalm 28, which is the cry of the afflicted, crying out to God to be the defender, which is exactly what my sermon is about. And so the scripture reading leads us into confession. We have Old Testament reading. By the way, we think it's important that the scriptures are read publicly, um, that the scriptures were, were, created to, were, were created by God to be read publicly in worship, in the context of worship, and so we do that. We read publicly the scriptures uh, from the Old Testament, and that leads us into confession. You'll hear Mark or Will say something like, God's word confronts us, leads us into confession, and we'll do a corporate confession and an individual confession, which we think is very important. Corporately, it's important for us to come together and tell the truth about ourselves, uh, to confess that we fall short. And again, the prayer of confession 
always revolves around the theme of the sermon. So this morning, um, Lord, Sovereign Lord, we confess our sinful response to the trials and discomforts of our lives. So we're talking about persecution. We need to confess that we have responded wrongly to the sufferings of our life. And so that's the prayer confession, which gives way to repentance, confession, repentance. We confess corporately, we repent corporately. And again, the repentance is always written along the lines of the theme. Have, have your empty trusts failed you? They have. Has Christ ever failed you? Never. Do you return to Christ as your only hope in life and death? Your only trust? We do. So the repentance follows that theme, and then there's always an assurance of God pardon. This is not God forgiving you your sins. This is God assuring you that you are forgiven. You are prone to wonder. You're prone to forget. You're prone to disbelieve the gospel, it is a profound thing every week for God to come and remind you with the assurance of pardon. We always choose a gracious passage that, that you are forgiven. It is true. That's not you, him forgiving you. That's him assuring you that you are forgiven. And then the grace that we receive from God overflows into a renewed community with the greeting of peace. Again, a very traditional element. This goes all the way back to the early church. Um, where they, grew, they had a time, I talked about this last week, they had a time of intentional fellowship. Greeting each other in the Lord, the greeting of peace where we extend the same grace that we just received, we extend to others. This is not a meet and greet, people. It's fine for you to catch up. It's fine for you to say, hey, how was your week? It's fine for you to see somebody that you need to say something to them or whatever. That's fine, but greet them with the peace of Jesus Christ be with you. Because this is something significant. It's not just, hey, let's hang out for a moment. This is, I want to I extend to you the peace of Jesus Christ. And then there's the hymn of renewal to close out the renewal section. The renewal hymn is always grace-centered. Lord, I need thee every hour. Amazing grace, whatever. That's always going to be the theme of that middle hymn as it closes out our renewal. All right, response. Hymn of response. Uh, a section of response. This is when we've, we've rejoiced. We've been renewed. Now we respond to the gospel. The first response is a confession of faith is we confess the ancient truths of the Christian faith. We like for the confession of faith to be a broad confession that, that is not uniquely Presbyterian, but includes all uh, traditions of the faith. That's why we like the Apostles' Creed the most. This is the oldest creed of the church. This is what they've been saying forever. It's what they're saying worldwide right now. We confess our faith in God, and that matters. This is kind of our pledge of allegiance, our recommitment, our, our practicing our belief, and it's training us to believe it again and again. So confession of faith is the first response, and then there is a doxology. The doxology is Trinitarian, and that's important. Um, there is a moment after we confess our faith in the triune God, we sing the consistent creed of the church, which is the doxology, again, a historical song. We do that a cappella every week. And the reason why we do that is because we think that there does need to be a moment in church where it's just the voices of God's people. And if you're like me, that moment is so beautiful every week when it's just the people of God with their voices in this lovely sanctuary with this lovely acoustics. And we're going to talk a lot about even some of that architecture in this series. But the, but the sanctuary with those acoustics and our voices lifting up our praises to God with just our voices. So we confess our faith, we sing our faith, and then we give our money away. And that's important. This isn't paying the bills. This isn't because we got a lot of needs. We do. This isn't because we've got to pay the bank for our debt. We do. It isn't because we need more staff around here. We do. But if we had 
millions and millions of dollars to the bank, fully staffed, churches planted everywhere, missions fully funded, we wouldn't call this part off. We'd still ask you every week to give because we think this is a part of sacrificial giving. We think this is a part of worship. It is an important part of worship. Not only training you to be a person of generosity, but you sacrificially giving to the church. Shameless plug, I, I, I believe that you should be tithing to the church. And, um, and I believe that that should be done in worship. I'm fine with you. I, 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 I can't, the, the plate isn't passed up there. So I, I, give, I, I give electronically, that's fine. But Abby and I, are, 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 it's important for us to get a couple dollars and change and let our kids put it in there, just that there is an act of giving in worship, which we think is very, very important. So that's a, that's a response as we give our tithes and offering. But it's not just that we give our money. That's when the anthem takes place. Now listen, the anthem is not just your entertainment while you give money. The anthem is an offering. We give our financial gifts to the Lord and we lift up our musical gifts to the Lord that this choir works all week to present to God an anthem that is so has to be so beautiful to his ears. It's not even really for you. It is. We enjoy it. But, but, but say, we're giving our money and we're giving our talents, we're giving our gifts, we're giving our art, we're giving, we're giving you offering unto your name because you're worthy. Then there's a scripture reading of the passages you're preaching from. The sermon, which is the greatest response, is the application of the sermon. Now, you might say, um, this is my shameless plug here, you might say uh, that this is the one part that's not participatory in Christian worship. Everything we do is participatory. You're praying, you're with us, you're doing all this stuff, but when I get up there, it's time for y'all to be quiet and me to talk. That's not true. You are allowed to give me an amen. I hereby give you freedom to talk. You know what amen is? It's truly. It's saying yes. So you are participating in the preaching of God's word. What that guy just said is true. Amen. You're allowed to do that, okay? It is still your work, the work of the people. Preaching is the, is the main application, uh, excuse me, it sets us up for the main application, which is the table. Every sermon, the application is the sacrament. The final application and response of every sermon is the sacrament. Somehow, it leads us to the table. And so our, our greatest response, our greatest act of confession, our greatest act of repentance is to come and partake of the Lord's Supper. I'm not going to get into the sacrament and the theology of it. Um, you can, I, I have done that before. It's online. When we went to weekly communion with wine, I explained the significance of uh, the sacrament. You can go listen to that. But this is the ultimate response to it. And then we sing a hymn of response, which is always the hymn is chosen as the final thematic hymn of the whole worship and the whole liturgy. This week it's for all the saints, which is right along with the liturgy and my sermon, that moment when God the defender vindicates his saints who have suffered well in his name. And then the people go forth with the benediction, the blessing of God. It is tradition, by the way. You're allowed to give me an amen and you are allowed to lift your hands. Okay, um, that, is, that is a tradition in the church that you, that you lift your hands to receive the benediction. You open up your, your heart and your hands to receive the benediction and the minister um, in God's name pronounces uh, the blessing of God on his people to go forth and enact what you've just been trained in until we see you the next week. That's what we're doing every week. That's a lot of thought going into it. Um, it's serious business. 
And I encourage you to approach it that way, to approach holy worship with the seriousness, reverence, and importance that it deserves. All right, speaking of, I got to give call of worship in two minutes. We're in trouble. Let me pray. Lord, thank you. Uh, You're good. It's an honor to worship you. Thank you for my friends, this community, and this journey that we're on together in learning how to worship you better. Improve our worship, Lord, and be pleased with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Love y'all. Get out. Let us.